This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. And by ICOM. Heard it? Worked it? Logged it. Visit www.icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information about ICOM radios. It's Ham Radio. Good evening, everyone. It's time for Ham Talk Live. It's episode number 186, Augmented Reality in Contesting, recorded live on Thursday, October 17th, 2019. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight, we're joined by Jerry Ellsworth, AI6TK, and Amy Herndon, AI6ZU, and we'll take your calls live in just a few minutes. Last week, Bill Stearns, NE4RD, and Christian Kudnick, K0STH, were here to talk about some of the October special events, specifically Jamboree on the Air, the 100 Watts at a Wire Fallout, and School Club Roundup. So if you missed that show, you can listen anytime at hamtalklive.com or on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, or you can catch the rebroadcast on WTWW 5085 AM Saturday evenings at about 6.30 PM Eastern time. We'll get your questions ready to go for Jerry and Amy. We'll be talking about augmented reality tonight and the connection to amateur radio. And if you're listening to us live on Thursday night, you can give us a call after we talk a little bit. We have a short interview. Um, but that telephone number, let me go ahead and give that to you so you can write it down and have it ready to go or type it in. It's 812-NET-HAM-1, 812-638-4261. You can also tweet us. In fact, we've got a couple of tweets already. Uh, our Twitter handle is at HamTalkLive, so I'll be watching that throughout the night as well. So uh, we hope that you will uh, ask your questions here live with Jerry and Amy right after this word from ICOM America right here on HamTalk Live. Heard it, worked it, logged it. It's time to get the transceiver that's best suited for your lifestyle. ICOM offers a variety of high-performance and innovative products. Make the most out of contest season with one of these ICOMs today. The IC7610 is the SDR every ham wants. This high-performance SDR has the ability to pick out the faintest of signals, even in the presence of stronger adjacent ones. The IC7610 by ICOM is a direct sampling, software-defined radio that will change the world's definition of an SDR transceiver. It has RF direct sampling, 110 RMDR, independent dual receiver, and dual digicel. The IC7300 is changing the way entry-level HF is designed. This high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design will far exceed your expectations. With RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, a large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and SD memory card slot. And, of course, the IC7 7851 keeps your competitive contesting edge with faster processors, higher input gain, higher display resolution, and a cleaner signal. ICOM's IC7851 is the pinnacle of HF perfection. It has dual receivers, digital IF filters, memory keyer, digital voice recorder, high-resolution spectrum waterfall display, enhanced PC connectivity, and an SD memory card slot. For more information on ICOM radios, be sure to visit ICOM America dot com slash amateur who is the most dangerous person in the world a ham with some wire a potato gun and an idea ham talk live 
Thanks to ICOM America for sponsoring the show again tonight. Be sure you check out all their great radios and accessories at icomamerica.com slash amateur. Tonight, our guests are Jerry Ellsworth, AI6TK. She was born in Georgia and raised in Oregon. And Jerry taught herself to program on a Commodore 64 and never looked back. She entered the computer business and has worked on many projects revolving around computers and computer gaming. Lifehacker named her as a modern-day MacGyver because of her ability to hack a variety of technologies, often with surplus or repurposed pieces. She created her own chip-building production lab at home and has been working on augmented reality in the past few years, and her latest Kickstarter campaign has raised over $1 million to build augmented reality systems at Tilt 5. Amy Herndon, AI6ZU, is a prototyping engineer and office manager at Tilt 5. Amy refers to herself as the Swiss Army Knife on her LinkedIn page. She jumps in and does whatever's needed. She has a wide variety of abilities and is putting those skills to use with Jerry dealing with everything from scheduling to building prototypes and jigs. Uh, she's been a builder for most of her life, and her interest in electronics also brought her into ham radio. And she has a solid collection of HF rigs and likes to build antennas. And it's been uh, great to uh, talk with you both a little bit tonight. And, and I know things are, are busy, but thanks for taking time out to talk to us a little bit about your project and how it relates to ham radio. So, Jerry and Amy, welcome to Ham Talk Live. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's an honor. Well, I, I you know, have heard all about this this Kickstarter campaign um, for the augmented reality headsets, and, and that's gone really well. So before we get into the connection with Ham Radio, give us the latest update on your project. Well, this project has been going for quite a few years now. I've been working in this space for um, seven or eight years. I started off at a, a software company in Seattle called Valve Software that hired me to uh, research how to make games more fun and bring um, everyone from uh, the grandparents all the way down to the grandkids together to play games. Um, ultimately, they uh, moved into virtual reality, which is a different type of uh, technology that removes you from the world and puts you into this whole synthetic world, which um, I wasn't a, a big fan of. And so I started a company to do augmented reality that keeps you in the world, but gives you augmentation, gives you 3D um, elements in the world. And so it's been a lot of work. Um, it's not easy to introduce uh, a, an emerging piece of technology that has so much potential impact on the world. This is I, we honestly believe that in the next 20 years, um, this type of technology will start to replace our phones, our computers. It'll be our interface to um, everything in our life. Um, and so the system's just glasses you slip on, and these uh, 3D game characters or 3D objects can just spring out of your table. Um, so talking about an emerging market, you have to get creative about uh, funding activities like this. So we chose to go to Kickstarter, which is a crowdfunding um, website that allows uh, individuals like your listeners to participate at whatever level they want. So um, we have some folks that are just pitching in a few dollars to that just want to see this technology live. And then we have... Uh, backing tiers that let people actually get the headset that they can use themselves. And um, we've been going for 20 days out of a, a month-long campaign about, I think. Is that right, Amy? Yeah, around that. that yeah. Month. And uh, I think we're approaching $1.4 million. Uh, we crossed through the break-even point where we could actually build the headsets and probably not go bankrupt um, but we made no money. <laughs> yeah, that was that was within 17 hours. Um, wow. We're, we're at 1.4. We might make a nickel. <laughs> we make very little money. <laughs> In hardware, you have to sell a lot of units to just uh, make any money. And so um, 
we're still looking for folks to help us out and um, that are interested in being on the cutting edge of this technology and, you know, help us just keep uh, the lights on in, in the office and keep food on the employees' tables. And, and bring this awesome yeah. thing that we've invented out into the world. Well, I know, you know, we've been talking, you, you've been getting calls in the middle of the night and not a whole lot of sleep, and it's yeah. been quite a, quite a ride. So uh, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, that comes in and, and, and you're, like you said, you, you've got food on the table and you can keep going and, and keep, <laughs> keep uh, working on this, on this great project and, and really uh, appreciate your... Uh, your efforts in in getting all of this going because uh it, it's got a lot of of promise to it and and we're really excited to to hear about it tonight well at visalia you had some very interesting ideas on ways to incorporate this augmented um and virtual reality technology into contesting so let's talk a little bit about bringing these two worlds together. You've got augmented reality and you've got ham radio contesting. How are these going to work together? Well, um, I just wanted to mention one thing before we go into that. I just um, was recalling back to all of my Elmers and ham radio mentors when I was a kid around 1985 or so. And, it was amazing. I lived in this small town where there were very few um, people that had computers, but all the ham radio operators were on the cutting edge and had computers. And I think that's a really cool thing about ham radio operators. They're always adventurous. They're always trying to be ahead of the curve when it comes to technology and communication. And, you know, this is a piece of technology that's coming and it's going to open up a lot of possibilities for radio communication. And uh, we're excited about what's possible um, in form of uh, augmentation for contesting or just general communications alone. But for one of the, at Visalia, I brought a very early prototype and I put together a simulation of what it might look like if you had a four-square antenna with four receivers, and you did just a little bit of math on the signals that you're receiving on these four antennas. And I showed right on the table, you saw a little house. It was in 3D. You could actually reach out. It just looked like you could touch it. Right next to the house, you saw the four antennas sticking up right out of the table, just like miniature version. And all around the antenna, you could see cascading in the signal strength from different signals. What's interesting about augmented reality is because you get that extra depth to it and this extra interaction, you can actually reach in and select things with your hands or with an object. It gives you more information simultaneously. And so on this demo I put together, you could actually see the heading in which um, the signal was coming and which antenna you would want to select or where you want to point your antenna. Um, it's very hard to actually see that kind of thing on a 2D screen. Um, because you could see amplitude poking up out of the, the the waterfall that was coming, cascading in towards the antennas, and you could see the heading in which direction it was coming. So you can imagine in, in contesting, you know, if you're you wanting to reach a certain part of the world, you could actually take a look at, you know, you could have your transceiver off to the side, and you can have your, your tilt-5 uh, mat off to the side, and you could take a look at how your antenna's performing, and you can turn your antenna and you can see how your signal is getting out in 3D and then actually like figure out if you're aimed in the right direction, if you're heading towards that area of the world that you want to pick up. And, you know, you can just imagine it, take it from there. It can make it so much, uh, so much easier to actually see that. When we were talking last night um, uh, with the folks on Ham Nation, we were saying like you can imagine something like a, a Google Earth uh, where you can see the whole kind of globe in front of you. You can spin it with your hand and you can see how your signal strength is getting out across the globe and then how neat would that be if the person that you just connected with also had that ability and you could actually reach in and kind of interact with each other in real time while you're making that connection yeah so we have the ability to track um, objects and hands and uh, we have a wand a magic wand that you can use to select things and a unique feature of our system is you can actually 
you know, our system is based on this game board that you open up and that's where all the images show up. You can actually take your game board sitting on your table, link it up to somebody else's game board across the world and you have this shared 3D space. So imagine hooking um, our system up to the spotting networks. You make a contact, then um, automatically you could see this 3D world um, pop up and you could see exactly where they are. It could load up Google Maps um, with 3D view of, of the terrain, the location where you're you're actually... Yeah, if they have a big uh, tower there, you could actually maybe see their tower, yeah. which, would be, which would be pretty cool. And maybe see the signal strength coming off of their tower as well. That would be pretty interesting. But then you could take it to another level as well. So once you've like made your contact, you could actually link your game boards together and have uh, communication over the Internet where you could pr- potentially share 3D, 3D models. So our glasses have the ability that you could digitize objects. So I don't know, you get the new ICOM 7610 and you walk around it and you digitize it into 3D and and then uh, you could link up to your new friend you made and send them a 3D model <laughs> and you could be like, well, here's where the cat port is on my new hot ICOM rig. And <laughs> uh, we also, you know, oh, I should... I should clarify, like a lot of this is like super early. There's got to be like clever ham radio programmers that, you know, are going to take on these challenges and making the software tools like, you know, the Joe Taylors and folks out there. And, and of course, we're interested in that ourselves and we're kind of poking it as well. But, you know, we're just talking basically about like this is the future, what it could be like. Um, there's a lot of interesting things. So. Um, you were talking earlier about you're working with your school and they're having antenna problems. Um, one thing that I started working on, it's not complete yet, is I wanted to pull in NEC antenna simulations and be able to build complex antennas in 3D. So you would use the magic wand to drag in, in real time, drag in antenna elements and move them around and constantly be calculating the um, antenna uh, um uh, gosh, I'm having trouble, not enough sleep, uh, radiation patterns as you move elements in real time. And you could just lean in to your table and you look at this miniature version of your antenna and you can actually see how um, moving these elements is changing. And also you could bring in Google um, Earth, like the terrain map, and you could see like how the train is going to affect your antenna and you could set up like, well, I know we have high iron content, you could use the magic wand to paint iron on the ground, or I know the roof of my school, it has metal, so I'm going to put <laughs> aluminum on the top of this. And you can model your house, and you can see how these complex interactions actually work in a very intuitive way that's really hard on a 2D screen, but absolutely trivial on a 3D screen. Well, it sounds like there's endless possibilities and it sounds like we've come a long way from playing gorf on a commodore system <laughs> yep 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 <laughs> and then there's a new uh we were just speculating last night about new communication methods like we have slow scan tv we have fast scan tv why don't we have slow scan 3d models like you just send out a 3d model into the ether and people receive it, and then all the geometry gets recreated on your your projection, your game board, right there in front of you. So you could send a 3D scan of your ham shack or your new rig or your new antenna design and actually send the 3D models over the airwaves. It could be a very interesting uh, new way to communicate. I like it. So, so how soon do you think? this technology is going to be available to start working on these projects. And when do you think that maybe the, the connection to ham radio and, and the software to do all of that will happen? What, what's your, what's your idea? What's your guess? Well, if Jerry has her way, it'll, it'll start happening. <laughs> in the next she's, uh, she's been meaning to play around with her uh, ICOM 7610. And, and well, I already hooked it up, yeah, too. She, yeah, she had it hooked up and ready to go last week. And, um, uh, yeah, I had a, a 3D waterfall hooked up to the 7610. And, uh, nice. 
it was really, really nice. And I have all kinds of ideas of stuff that I want to do around that. Like this is actually something probably very relevant to uh, contesting. So I want to have a 3D waterfall cascading away from me on the table so I can see all the elevation of the amplitude and I can just get in and kind of see the um, the signals. And what's interesting is you can see Morse code and you can you pretty much can read the uh, dots and dashes and space, spaces um, in the waterfall. But I also want to record the entire spectrum in time and save like a buffer of, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds into the the past. And I want to be able to reach in with my hand and grab the waterfall and drag it backwards and then be able to scrub it back and forth and scroll it really slow. Like, what was it? Was that a, a did or a da? Like, let me listen to that a couple times. And I believe that when you start to put those kinds of direct interactions with the raw data that, you know, normally you have to use buttons and knobs and stuff to um, manipulate, you could actually just reach in, grab the audio, re-listen to it, move it through at different speeds until you pull out that that call sign that you missed. And then you can just give it a fling, fling it back to, you know, the current time and to real time to real time. And um, so that could be huge for contesting. No more busted calls. Yeah, that's right. Just (laughs) listen to it over and over again. So in terms of like, in terms of our hardware, um, some of our early kits are actually going to start going out in February of next year. Um, Folks can actually start developing for it now if they want to. They don't actually have to have the the glasses or our SDK in hand to actually start developing for it. Um, we're actually going to be coming up with some widgets that they can use. And our SDK works with Unity and Unreal Engine. So, you know, whichever kind of game engine somebody's using to, to do these types of interactions, they can just take the widget package, toss it into to their project in Unity and and get up and running before they even have glasses. Yeah, and our main shipment of glasses, to the primary shipment for the less brave souls, like we have it split into two levels. There's like the super brave people that want to uh, be very early and deal with bugs and report bugs to us. And then June, July, and we're moving into August shipments now. We've been filling up all of our shipment slots is when the little bit more polished version, we're not guaranteeing zero bugs, but... Um, something that comes with games, comes with applications, um, is going to be ready. Now, when when do the ham radio um, applications come? Well, I think it's going to evolve over time, and they're going to start out pretty simple. You know, certainly I'll take all my experiments with waterfalls and you know multiple antenna uh, signal strength and just kind of put it out there into the public domain. But once these are in the hands of clever ham radio operators that want to be cutting edge and explore this, <clears throat> we'll start to see the the new the new things like the FT8 of 3D model, slow scan, whatever. That's when it's going to get really exciting. Yeah. yeah what what exactly do you um, anticipate or expect uh, the contesting community to you know to put this technology into use and run with it. What do you think? <laughs> I, people are probably going to get mad at me for uh, saying this, but I think you, I think you have I didn't mean for right. that to be a loaded question there, but I guess. <laughs> no, no, I think it's hilarious. I, we're, I'm relatively new. Amy and I are both relatively new to the ham space. And, uh, you know, we come in with all this like piss and vinegar and excitement about it. And we go charging in like, wouldn't it be great with all of this new technology? And of course there's always a segment of ham radios. Like, you know, I've had my monochrome, you know, screen. <laughs> You're yeah. going to have to pry those tubes out of my cold, dead hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, exactly. And I know you're, there's a <laughs> some of your listeners that are just railing against this, and it's, it's okay. FT8 yeah. is going to kill radio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's okay. You know, we're not, we're not going to replace contesting. You can still use your paper logs if you want. But I think there's going to open up, like, a lot of interesting things. There's going to be tools that are going to make... Uh, contesting more efficient is one thing. And what I'm excited about is I think there's going to be opportunities to have more gamified versions of contesting. Maybe, you know, the, there's lots of sprints out there, which are really fun. You go do a little sprint and uh, it's super casual. 
I, th- I think that uh, there's going to be more opportunities to have kind of instant contests, maybe even contests that, you know, people that are using this cutting edge technology can just log into a pu- public lobby on the Internet, come up with their own rules, um, broadcast it to the world. A certain number of people will just jump on and for like an hour in the mid afternoon, you know, it's slow scan 3d model contest and whoever can receive the most 3d uh scans of tulips uh, (laughs) wins right (laughs) and i think it can be really fun and combine that with real-time uh scoring so you can see how you're doing like right there on your table you could see your ranking just scrolling by maybe as a a vertical bar graph like extending out of the table with all the rest of the contendants uh, contestants <laughs> um, it could be like super exciting and fun and instant feedback and I mean Amy and I both have a background in the video game industry and so we immediately draw like these parallels and we're like wow why do we have to wait a year to find out how we did in that contest like we should know on the the minute like how how we're doing. Yeah, instantaneous real-time scoring. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's coming. And I think that's also a way to get some of the uh, the younger generation more excited about uh, getting involved with ham radio as well. Definitely. Put kids into our system. You could be showing them the most boring uh, uh, education module about, you know, <laughs> we have examples of like the intestine not the most exciting thing in the world but kids are like wow <laughs> combine this ham radio you're going to have kids lined up you know 20 deep to get on the system and and try to uh, to use it yeah and the beauty right. of it is that you can have any number of people around the board at the same time and they all get their own their own view so you could have a bunch of people staring at that waterfall or how that you know antenna is is propagating and everything else and They'll all get to take a look at it. It worked for me. 1985 or so yeah. was probably when I met my first ham radio operators. Went to their ham shack. What did I find? Commodore 64s, uh, IBM XTs hooked up doing s- slow scan TV. And they planted the seed. You know, it took me 25 years, 30 years to finally get my license. But they, just because they were so cutting edge and it was so exciting for me, you know, it was ingrained in my brain that yeah <laughs> yeah well you guys are, are were reading my mind because i i'm sitting here you know i i work with kids i work with school clubs and i i, I write about and talk about ways to get young people involved in ham radio and and contesting is one of those things and and we've looked at you know the the touchscreen radio and how you know the touchscreen radio interacts better with the young people because that's the technology they're familiar with and and you're you're exactly right i think you know getting this more of a gaming type system is going to be friendlier to the young people who are doing those kinds of things already and and we've talked on this show about the live online scoreboard and how a lot of the um, college level contests and school contests are using the live scoreboard so that they can see in real time how they're doing in the contest. And I think that's just going to continue to grow and grow. And, yep. and then you put this, this augmented reality with it and it's just the, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. You could imagine like all kinds of ways that you can gamify it even more. If you had say the 3d globe and you had to try to, stack your multipliers in 3d on the the globe right so like you find a region and you start stacking them in a certain order and you can visualize like well if i contact someone with a letter a in their call sign first and then i then stack someone with a call sign with the letter z in it that adds a more complicated multiplier and you know, now we have this new dimension where we can start to visualize how all the multipliers stack together, and we can see in just a 
you know, just a, a glance, like how we're doing stacking multipliers in a certain region, and you don't have to go over to a pen and paper and start adding stuff up. It's just I look away from the microphone, look over the table, and like, bam, you know, I'm getting all these multipliers in California, and like, it's I'm doing really good because the uh, my my bar graph is getting taller and taller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like an inch yeah. off the table. Like that's great, and I know if I make it to two inches. Yeah, I mean, we're 3D. Human beings are 3D. We interact 90% of the time in 3D, you know. So bringing these interfaces to radios and computing is just the natural way to go. Um, Yeah, and I totally agree. Like, uh, gamifying, like, kids, like, almost there's not a kid out there that doesn't play video games. And they, they find out how well they did in their online game within a nanosecond. So... If we could even get contesting so they could get the feedback within a few minutes, uh, that would be, you know, attractive. And and I don't care how much the old timers uh, scold me for saying, like, they'll never give up their paper logs. Contesting is a preparedness drill, but it's also kind of a game, right? It's just a game that's uh, was a... It, it feeds that kind of... Uh, that nerd desire to collect things, you know, you, you want to collect as many as you, as you can. And, and that's, that's an inherent desire that, that they use in, in games as well. So, you know, myself, like I, I love playing games like, um, Elder Scrolls Skyrim and I am, (laughs) I like to, to hoard and collect as many things as I can. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got to meet the founder of Atari a few years ago and we became friends and, at one point, he pulled me inside and told me, he's like, there's human nature in video games. And we discovered that at Atari, and that's why we were so successful. It's like, it's human nature. Like, you know, humans like to put things into order. Humans like to destroy things. Humans like to um, collect, uh, collect things. Collect things. <laughs> and so if you put a little uh, psychology into ham radio, um, it could really... Um, attract a lot of people because it'll just make it that much more fun. I totally agree. Well, this is so exciting that we're way over time, so we're going to oh. take a break. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'll come back and we'll we'll collect some more points and and we'll blow up some asteroids and 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 play a little missile command or something when we come back. Right after this word from Tower Electronics, right here on ham talk live hey honey have you seen the pl259s anywhere no i haven't come on kids let's go there's just one place to go for all of your connector needs tower electronics tower electronics a giant warehouse of connectors and adapters for every occasion thousands to choose from in every shape size and color and they have antennas soldering supplies cables meters and more where do you go if you want to buy a connector at a fraction of retail cost tower electronics tower electronics tower electronics and this weekend only take advantage of our special liquidation sale buy nine solder type pl259s get the tenth one for just one penny they make great christmas presents what better way to say I love you than with the gift of a PL-259? Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Hi, I'm Scott Cole, KB9AMM, president of Tower Electronics. I like the company so much that I bought it. Tower Electronics, coming to a hand fest near you or online at pl-259.com. And we're in the yellow pages under Amateur Radio Connectors. My, wherever did you get that lovely PL-259? Tower Electronics, pl-259.com, or call 920-435-2973. Do we sell PL-259 connectors? Join the conversation. Give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. Oh, yeah. You're talking ham radio, baby. You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp.
Tower Electronics will be at Greenville, Tennessee this weekend, October 19th, the Hamfest there. November 2nd and 3rd in Lawrenceville, Georgia. November 8th and 9th, Montgomery, Alabama. But you can visit them anytime you like at pl-259.com. And Ham Talk Live, you can listen anytime you like at hamtalklive.com. Or we're on the air live every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And it's time for your phone calls and your tweets right now. So if you have a question... For Jerry and Amy, give us a call at 812-638-4261. 812-638-4261. That spells out uh, 812-NET-HAM-1. Or you can tweet us at Ham Talk Live. And if you're listening to us on WTWW or on the podcast edition, we're not here. Because it's Thursday. And, and we haven't figured out time travel yet so we can't go back and call all right well we're going to talk a little bit about the home uh chip building lab first we did have a tweet earlier so want to um scroll back here and talk about that and 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 um armani uh here uh kf5tyu um had a question and, and and also wanted to give a shout out to the uh texas a&m amateur radio club w5ac so we'll we'll slip that in there but um armani wants to know have you already used uh tilt five with software defined radio or how could that option be made available well you you've already added on the 7610 right correct correct um there's quite a few ways, if you're a programmer and if you um, are good at that, you can use uh, these game engines. And so it's kind of unfortunate they're called game engines these days because so many people use them for professional applications as well. But these game engines allow you to work in 3D in a very easy way where you can put graphics into this virtual world and you can just place it with pure measurements. So, for instance, when I did the waterfall, um, experiment. I just uh, instantiated uh, 3D objects that were slowly moving away from me in this 3D world. And then the way our headset works is we have this really easy plug-in that you hook to the game engine. And as soon as you put that into the game engine, the 3D graphics just shows up on the table and you can see it in real time. And so there's a lot of things you can do with, uh, with uh, SDRs. We did a a demo piece of software which took air traffic control data, which came off the Internet in that case, and then we plotted it in 3D space. So you could see a uh, topographic map of a city, and you could scroll anywhere in the world and see real-time air traffic um, over the top of the city. And so you could see paths of where the airplane had flown little lines floating right up right in front of your nose and in 3d space you could see the airplanes and you could walk around the table and look at your city you could zoom in and you could see the different airplanes you could use our magic wand to click on the uh the uh, airplanes and get the uh the beacon data off of it which was really interesting um so imagine you could take your sdr pull down that same, all that beacon data and do it in real time just from your own antennas. Or trains, for instance, have a lot of beacons on them. You could be tracking trains and then tracking locations on the table and see it in 3D as if, you know, a little, you know, model railroad, but it's actually real trains moving around. Um, as satellites, uh, you could be pulling in all of this 3D data that's coming down from satellites that are mapping the world. It's just kind of endless how you can hook it up to, to radio. So, Amy, do you have any? Thoughts? Oh, you, that was that was fantastic. The air traffic control simulation was really really fun because you could actually see you know the elevations of the uh, the airplanes as they were moving around in the airspace, and so you could see you know in some. And when you look at 2D, you can't really tell if two planes look like they're overlapping each other. You can't really tell like where they are in relationship to each other. But when you look at it through our glasses, you can actually see, oh, that one's like actually flying really low and the other one's flying really high and you see them in that three-dimensional space above each other. 
I think that's a great example of, you know, the efficiency you can have when you, you bring in the third dimension for computer displays. You know, 2D screens, you know, this air traffic control, like you have two dots on top of each other. Are they colliding in, into each other and going <laughs> to explode? Or you have to actually look at these numbers next to them like, oh, that one's at a thousand you know, meters up and the other one's 100 meters up. And um, it's just at a glance, you can know. I mean, so this type of technology is going to be transformative way outside of games and way outside of even ham radio. It's like the air traffic control of the future is going to be people sitting uh, with these glasses on, uh, making the world safer because they're not going to confuse you know, a digit of a number on two dots on a screen. Wow. Well, Troy W9KVR has chimed in here and says, crazy thought, uh, the geoscientist in him uh, says, how about uh, how RF is propagating through atmospheric layers or meteor scatter? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert, Um Maybe, I mean, you know more about uh, atmospheric, uh, like, readings. But, you know, I know there's all kinds of uh, uh, beacons that they send out to try to measure propagation and their satellites looking down at the atmosphere. You could imagine combining all that data that's a lot of it's readily available, combining that together to help predict how um, various uh, propagations going to to happen. Uh, solar, like Tamitha's Cove, could probably help us. Oh yeah, that would no, be oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, aggregate all this data together, and you could have a propagation predictor that's really intuitive to look at. It's like, oh, there's an aurora event happening. I'm going to point my antenna north, and I'm going to try to do aurora skip. Right. So I think there's a lot of opportunity. Hard to see on a 2D screen and understand all that data, but you start putting all these layers, you know, stacked on top of each other, and you just kind of peer in and look at it. It's like, oh, well, tropospheric ducting. Like, there's this atmosphere, you know, use weather satellites. Like, oh, there's these atmospheric, you know, things going on that would be good for tropospheric ducting. So let's give it a try. And gives you more opportunity to have fun and talk and gives you more opportunity to have people on the other side to actually hear you because if you're all, you know, looking at the same data. Yeah, and then combine that with the ability to see, you know, how efficiently your antenna, your your own antenna is getting out there and being able to aim it in the direction that you you need to aim it to be able to do those types of things. Like seeing that in 3D is going to be incredibly helpful. Yeah, yeah, we're just starting to see a glimmer of this. Like both Amy and I do a quite a bit of FT8 and think that's quite fun. And so I think it's ham maps that makes a um, or DX maps um, hooks into the spotting network plus takes all the data off your FT8 rig and shows you you know lines on a flat map of where your signal has been heard. Now imagine combining that into more of a 3D map and you could have algorithms in your computer to start to calculate well most likely you're doing some kind of skip off the atmosphere and that's why you're only seeing signals you know in this region of the united states and then it's bouncing and then going to another region could help you to understand like you know what's happening with your signal in more real time just through these spotting networks and and maybe it'll be encourage people to put more spotting networks up and we'd have even more data to work with Again, endless possibilities here. Uh, I think, uh, of course, well, you, you I should some great ideas there too. <laughs> I have to mention. I mean, I'm talking like, you know, when I worked at Valve Software, I like to say I got to see 20 years into the future. And we're only seven years into what I got to see yeah. through this brute force <laughs> stuff we did. So we're talking very aspirational. It's going to take a lot of clever ham radio operators working with these augmented reality systems um, to like make this happen. It's not going to happen on day one, but for you adventurous folks, you know, you can go to our Kickstarter. It's Tilt Five um, on Kickstarter. Just spell it out, and you can be on the bleeding edge of of uh, working on this stuff. Yeah, and we want we'll. we'll kind of recap that again here at the end and and if you've got a few minutes i don't want to take too much of your time but we'll we'll go over a little bit here if you uh if you can stick around for a little bit oh yeah yeah you have us uh, uh 
all night. Oh, oh no, we can't do that. <laughs> but but let, let's squeeze in a few other things here because, uh, you know, one of the things that I always hear is, well, you know, if, if she started building chips at home in the garage, you know, she must know what she's doing. So tell us a little bit about how that all went. Oh, so I worked for many years as a chip designer. And so as a chip designer, you sit in front of a terminal, you type a lot on a keyboard, and you use a mouse every once in a while, and then you send your electronic files off to this chip foundry somewhere in the world, and like this chip comes back to you in a little plastic um, package, and you never really um, (laughs) do anything like with the silicon. So I'm like, I really want to understand how this process works. Like, I want to touch these wafers. And uh, I have a YouTube channel, Jerry Ellsworth, if you look me up on YouTube, where I try to distill down complicated science and do it at home in the garage. So all kinds of optics stuff, laser things. Um, sometimes I'll do art projects. Um, mag loop, yeah, for the people that are going to call <laughs> in and ask about the second video on the mag loop. Someday it'll come. You don't need to call in. <laughs> but... Um, This was one of those things. It was a real stretch for me. So I started buying every book I could on semiconductor process and started researching. I started off with fairly modern books where it's like you got to have a class one zillion clean room and you have to have millions of dollars of equipment to do it. And then I started looking at books that were much older and got books from the 70s and the 60s and the 50s. And I got really fascinated, you know. You look at a book from the 60s, it was not clear how um, integrated circuits were going to come about. There were a lot of crazy ideas that these scientists were working on, and they were doing them pretty much on uh, workbenches with no clean rooms and with really simple uh, gear. And then very much like how I got into electronics, I went out and I looked for mentors that were experts in the area. So I started talking to some folks that worked at companies like Fairchild and National Semiconductor back in the 60s and 70s. And they took me under their wing and told me a lot about you know how the process worked. And then I got on, on eBay and started buying surplus gear and <laughs> trying a bunch of things. And I bought wafers off of eBay in various places and started experimenting. Um, it took me five years, and I had actually right next to all my gear, I had a mason jar that was completely full of little pieces of silicon where I'd done experiments and none of them had worked. And it actually came up to this one point after hundreds or, I mean, maybe even a thousand little experiments that one of my mentors is like, just explain to me exactly what you're doing. Just in every detail. And so I go, I grow oxide on the wafer, I etch the wafer, I put the diffusion source on it, I pre-dope it, I etch it, I patent, blah, blah, blah. And then I etch all of the oxide off and I put my metal contacts down. And he kind of laughs and he's like, oh, that's such a newbie mistake. (laughs) Like everyone that um, back in the day knew you can't have a PN junction um, exposed on the surface because you have dangling bonds and the electrons will just jump across the PN junction. You need to leave your oxide layer on. And <laughs> it's like that one little thing. Like, so I immediately went home, did a transistor, left the oxide on, worked perfectly. Well, air quotes perfectly. None of my transistors work perfectly because there's dirt and sodium in them and all kinds of contamination, <laughs> but it worked. And then I made YouTube videos about it. And then I made a simple little integrated circuit and ring oscillators and fun stuff like that. Uh, But yeah, it was at least five years of research. And I love projects like that. I did another one like that. Before transistors came along, there was this magnetic logic, which used just toroids, very much like the um, chokes that you use, the the toroids you use in balans, but with special properties to them. And it was going to be the replacement for vacuum tubes in computers. So I spent years researching this, and I did a, a video on how magnetic logic works, and that's super satisfying for me. Wow. Incredible. That That's just uh, it's such a, a maker-builder thing to do, and, and you're 
were ahead of the game on that. So, And it helps Very. me in my career. Uh, I can't tell you how many times when I'm working on a professional project, even the augmented reality headset, I did much of the optics. I would not be prepared for doing this level of complex optics if I hadn't spent decades building and experimenting and being super curious. And I tie it back to ham radio. That's what ham radio is about. Like, even if it's just making a simple dipole, like having that intuitive feel for how cutting wire and putting it together and having these complex interactions against the ground, like even with tilt five, you're not going to be able to simulate it perfectly. You got to get out there and learn that intuitive feel of like, I built it. Now it doesn't work. Why? And then having those mentors around you and knowing to go find those mentors. Mentoring is one of the critical things in ham radio. And I I think it's really um, where there's starting to be a real push now. It, It seems like there's, there's a push in that direction, and I hope that that, uh, that comes through. Well, one other so thing one, I wanted to ask. Oh, oh go ahead. Go I ahead. have one thing. If you don't mind if I, like, throw this in, because I think I think about this a lot, and um, it almost makes me get teary-eyed when I think about it. So all of my ham radio um, mentors um, uh, took all this time in the 80s to teach me electronics and they encouraged me to get into ham radio. They're all silent keys now. Um, But they don't even know how successful I became and that they planted... Oh, God, I am getting teary-eyed. They they, uh, planted the seed in me to be a mentor and to um, get into ham radio later. Yeah. And I think it's so important for... For me and everyone else to know that, you know, sometimes it doesn't feel like you're succeeding in mentoring young folks, but you're, you're planting that seed. And someday when you're long gone, pushing up daisies, um, you're going to make a big impact in their life. Well, agreed. Agreed. Well, one last thing that I want to ask, you know, I want, I want to direct this to Amy because she's the, 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 the self-proclaimed Swiss army knife here. How <laughs> I think you, I actually came up first with it. How, how do you, how do you, how do you keep up with her and how do you go from answering the phone to building a prototype? So I, I have kind of a, a pretty varied background. Um, I've always been a, a builder maker myself my entire life. In fact, I think I was using most of my dad's tools when I was a kid, uh, more often than he was, and he'd always get mad at me because he'd come into the garage and wouldn't be able to find his stuff whenever he needed it because it would be off in the corner where I was building something. Um, I ended up going to school for uh, and studying sculpture. And then from there, like, what do you do with a BFA when you get out of college? Uh, you either go back and get a, a master's in fine arts or you, uh, you end up doing something else. Well, I ended up going back and, and getting a, a master's in public administration and then ended up working for the Seattle, uh, city of Seattle in arts administration for about 14 years, doing a lot of office logistics and, and stuff like that related to grants that the office gave out and whatnot. So I, I had a, a very uh, long period of time where I was doing that kind of office administration. And I still was building stuff on the side and uh, ended up meeting uh, the team, um, Jerry's first company that she started after she left uh, Valve, ended up meeting that team and falling in love with what they were working on and ended up following them down to the Bay Area and eventually ended up working with them and being, I think, the 11th employee that they brought on board. And everything changed at that point because I was brought on board to do stuff that was not office administration type work. I was actually brought on to do um, calibration of their early glasses. And, and from there, like being the maker that I am, I started seeing that there was a need to get my hands and into things and start helping the engineers with things they needed to build fairly rapidly and I have that background, so I just started doing that. And eventually that ended up leading to a, a full-time job with the, the company. And so for me, you know, I would love to spend most of my days, like, building stuff. That's that's what I'm truly passionate about. And then since we're such a small team right now, you kind of have to wear multiple hats. So I've been picking up a lot of uh, office work as well, doing a lot of the logistical coordination for things, for dealing with manufacturers, for taking care of Jerry's <laughs> schedule, 
And then I'll, you know, get a request. Uh, we need to build something really fast and then I'll quickly go build something really fast and then I'll come right back to doing the other stuff. So <laughs> I'm just kind of all over the place. I'm pretty good at that. And I think, I think it was either Jerry or one of the other folks in the office that gave me the, uh, the name Swiss Army Knife and it just sort of stuck. <laughs> <laughs> She's being very modest. <laughs> very, very modest. Uh, Amy's extremely intelligent and, uh, and tenacious. She's like the honey badger around the office, like, you could give her the task of like this Chinese manufacturers having problem with this kind of lamination of the uh, game board. You need to solve it. And she'll go find out like the science behind the adhesives and like guide them through it and figure out how to communicate with the, the factory. Um, truly a Swiss army knife is a great analogy <laughs> for Amy, a, a honey badger slash, a honey badger uh, Swiss, Swiss Army knife. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I actually thrive on this type of stuff. I'm I'm very much one of these types of people. I think a lot like Jerry as well. My mind is constantly spinning with I, ideas, and if I if I have too much downtime, I start to get incredibly bored. Uh, so having a lot to do, uh, kind of all at once, is sort of how I I work the best. <laughs> Which is like the perfect perfect DNA for a startup because. Yeah. Startups are not for everyone. It's not your nine to five job. It's sometimes twenty hours a day. You know, our team is extremely small. You know, we have like five people working on the project, um, which is it's incredible what we've been able to do. But you've got to constantly hustle because you have to keep the lights on. You got to keep everyone fed. You got to like do the promotion. You got to work with the factory. You got to get the logistics in place. You got to write all the software. You got to inspire people. But on the flip side, it's quite a thrill being on the cutting edge of new technology and like uh, blazing a new trail into this this way that people are going to compute in the future. Well, you all have have spent an hour with us, and, and we're very grateful that you've uh, done that and uh, already getting some some comments of, of great show and, and great information <laughs> and so we're we're really looking forward to seeing this grow and develop and, and these new things and, and new ideas and how this is all going to to play in and help learning of all kinds um, but we're especially uh, looking for the uh, the ham radio options here on this show. But uh, mm-hmm. before we go, remind us again about the Kickstarter uh, because yeah, you you got to keep the lights on and 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 the the team feds here. So remind people how they can get involved with the Kickstarter and um, how much longer you have on that campaign. So I think we have about uh, 11 days left on the campaign. It's either 10 or 11 days. Um, and people can find us if they if they go to Kickstarter and they type in Tilt 5, uh, both words spelled out, and then look for holographic tabletop uh, gaming, they'll be able to find us. Uh, we're lucky enough to be one of the, uh, the projects that the Kickstarter staff loves. So that kind of pulls us to the top uh, amongst all the mix of everything that's in there. So we should be pretty easy to find in there. Uh, we're also on on Twitter, and we we tweet a lot about the uh, the stuff that we're doing with the Kickstarter campaign, and we've been announcing a lot of our new partners on there as well. So people can find us either way. Um, yeah, and uh, I think if you're if you're uh, if you just want to see this technology, you know, exist, you know, we're doing something really special, and uh, it's a worthwhile thing to uh, back. All right. Well, that's how you can you can help out. Go to Kickstarter and and look up Tilt Five and and check all that out. Okay. Any final comments before we go? It's been an honor. It's yeah, been super it's been a pleasure. Fun. Well, it it's really been a pleasure to to talk to you and Jerry. I I must have passed you like five times at Dayton, and and I was so busy and you were so busy that I never did have a chance to to stop and say hi so uh, so i am now uh but <laughs> hopefully well, uh, we can catch up Dayton. in the future yeah there's yeah, always there's next date 
So Yeah, if you're going to be a Dayton this next year, I think we're both going to try to make it out there again. And then we're at Pacificon this weekend. So uh, if anyone listening has questions, just look for the redhead and uh, black-haired <laughs> girl <laughs> wandering around. We're yeah. kind of... There's not a lot of uh, women wandering around as much as men, so we should be easy to spot. Yeah, feel free to come up and chat with us. We love chatting with people. All right. Well, there you go. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you again as this progresses. Thank you so much for having us on. Thank you. All right. Well, that is a wrap for this week's edition of Ham Talk Live. Thanks to my guests, Jerry Ellsworth, AI6TK, and Amy Herndon, AI6ZU, and everybody out there in cyberspace for listening and typing in tonight and invite you back next Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And for a list of all of our upcoming guests, just go over to hamtalklive.com. And if you like Ham Talk Live, please leave us a review. That helps others find us a little bit faster so for now this is neil rap wb9 vpg saying 7375 and may the good dx be yours